0: Kia and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red, my name is Pip Adam and in this episode I got to sit down with Amon Mara um, and have a chat about stories. Um, Amon is a writer, comedian and DJ, he's one of my favourite writers, he's one of my favourite comedians and he's one of my favourite DJs. Um, um, Amon's work is incredibly clever. Um, Amon's work is incredibly funny, um, and yeah, it just hits that wonderful spot of bittersweet. Um, yeah, I think I've laughed hysterically at um, Amon's stories, and I think I've also, you know, probably shed a tear more than once. Ah, and also everything in between. Yeah, he's awesome. Anyway, so places you might have seen Amon Mara. Um, Amon is uh, he does stand up, which is um, really funny, and highly recommend it. Um, he's done um, quite a few storytelling shows, which appear in theatre. Um, some of his journalistic works, um, sort of creative nonfiction, has appeared in Wireless and um, Spinoff. Um, uh, as I said before, he's an incredible DJ. Um, he's a very astute um, and interesting listener of music and um, has done some incredible band interviews, um, they're fantastic and um, yeah the place that I sort of came first into contact with Amon Mara was his fiction, um, his writing for the page um, which is quite astounding and I think quite um, particularly Awesome. Um, So Amon and I sat down to talk about two stories. We talked about Julie Coe's story um, Cream Reaper which is from her 2016 collection Portable Curiosities. Julie Coe is an Australian writer. She has two collections Capital Misfits which came out in 2016 and Portable Curiosities which is where um, the story Cream Reaper that we talk about comes from. Um, Yeah both outstanding collections of short stories just yeah oh my god they're amazing um then the second story we talk about is Amon's own story dog farm food game this appeared in sport 45 and you can read it online um we've got a link to it on our website which is betterrednz.wordpress.com better r-e-a-d-n-z dot wordpress.com so you can read it there um yeah I really enjoy talking to Amon and I really hope you enjoy the podcast thanks heaps. Hello Eamon, how are you?
1: Good, how are you?
0: I'm really good, yeah. Thanks for letting us come up to Torrey Street. It's very nice in here. I feel very comfortable. It's very good. Um, now I'm here with Amon Mara, and we are going to be talking about two stories. Um, we're going to be talking about a story called Cream Reaper, which is from Portable Curiosities by Julie Coe, and we, then we are going to be talking about Dog Farm Food Game, which is by Amon. Um, as well. So we're going to start off talking a bit about Julie Coe's story, and Amon, you were willing to read a little excerpt from that for us.
1: Yeah, I'll just read a bit from the middle of the story. Mrs. Tracy drops me home before she drops off the bodies. What is this? She says, "A hole in the wall." It literally is. It's one of thousands of new horizontal hovels, and this the city has recently listed on a special register to address the housing crisis. If you earn under forty thousand dollars per year, you qualify to rent. You qualify to rent one of these holes for a subsidized rate of seven hundred and fifty dollars a week. The initiative was inspired by the Japanese capsule hotel concept. Except the holes aren't capsules, just concrete tubes with open ends. It comes with a post box, I tell her. Dear girl, says Mrs. Tracy, you must start making more money. As Mrs Tracy drives off, I make diving hands and launch myself into the hole. I light a match and hold it up to the fire sprinkler so I set it off so I can wash my face to set it off so I can wash my face. All refreshed for a night in, I line my horizontal hole eating a deluxe muesli bar from Aldi and fall asleep pondering the mechanics of G's rapid ascent through the frozen food ranks.
0: Awesome, thank you. Oh my goodness, there is so much to talk about with this story, um, but I did want to start just a little bit, I remember that you sent me a message a little while ago, end of last year, sort of saying, oh my god, I've just read this most amazing collection of short stories, and I raced out and bought it and really enjoyed this collection as well, but I'm wondering, how did you how did you find out about Julie Coe's work?
1: So I was at a writers festival in Australia called the National Young Writers Festival, which is really cool and I want to go every year until (laughs) I'm no longer a young writer um, from now on. And I went and saw this panel discussion on comedy writing, uh, which Julie Coe was part of, as well as a few other people, including Patrick Marlborough, who's a really great comedian who I met there as well from Perth. And um, I just sort of instantly, the way she talked about writing and stories and kind of the desire to not be categorized um she was kind of not upset but sort of being a bit critical of the fact that she was just put in this comedy writing um panel rather than like a literary writing panel or something anything like that um so i was kind of like just taken with that whole concept of not wanting to be categorized and then I tracked down a book of hers in Melbourne in a bookshop there and read it in about two days I think it was just just couldn't get enough and yeah it really made me remember how much I love short stories because they're my favorite thing to read but I always end up getting caught up in novels and in essay collections and in non-fiction and then it can be six months and I haven't read any short stories and then I read a book like this and I remember that this is what I like.
0: Because what, um, I did want to talk about this and I was sort of going to talk about it a little bit later and maybe we can revisit it, but this idea of story, like I think that often when we talk, I tend to not talk about short fiction or short prose. I do seem to use this word story and I think in a lot of your work, Um, story seems appropriate and I'm just wondering this book in particular gives it it really does defy categorization the work that's in it and I just wonder do you have any ideas about that word story or yeah
1: I like using the word story as well or stories and I like on the cover it says portable curiosity stories Julie Co Um, I like stories because the words short fiction Like nobody calls a novel long fiction, Um, and it kind of short fiction will make you seem it seem like it's a shorter version of something normal. But stories kind of it's its own thing. Stories are what it is, and it doesn't have to be like defined by what it's not which is what short fiction kind of does.
0: I really like that idea. I really like that idea. So there was a lot to choose from in this book, and you chose the story Cream Reaper. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you chose that story? Like, what, yeah, just why why you thought that was a good story to look at?
1: Um, Well, it was, like, one of the most memorable in the collection, I think. Um, There are a few other stories that I really like. Like, I like the most magnificent breasts in the world, and i liked i think it's called fat oh yeah um heaps as well but this one cream reaper seemed like the most portable curiosities story out of all of the portable curiosity stories which is like why i like it because um it's like it is satirical but it's not just satire and it's kind of set in this um near future not quite dystopia, but almost, or yeah, it can definitely be defined as dystopia. But the people living in it probably wouldn't think they're living in a dystopia.
0: Yeah, I really like that idea. So, if um, like I was trying to, um, I was trying to tell someone what the story is about, you know, and um, I guess I sort of flipped to plot, and I was thinking, so we have this character who, um, yeah, it comes through the point of view Um, it appears to begin in quite a conventional way as sort of a journalistic kind of like profile of this character who is an ice cream you know sort of I don't know what you'd call him he seems like the you know the I don't know connoisseur but also like has made a lot of money out of ice cream and it sort of is interesting 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 and things seem slightly outblown but not a lot and then there's this twist do you think we should tell people what the I don't maybe know.
1: in a bit i think oh, i, think yeah. I should talk. I quite like the because i like the setup as well because it feels like an episode of chef's table uh which is cool <laughs> because it's just like and the character is just such a chef's table chef like so confident so sure of himself and like i like that like julico doesn't shy away from like stupid jokes as well as the um as the as the like clever ones as well like when it's talking about the f- new flavor which is duck and cardboard um a single origin cardboard <laughs> and it's just like that's a that's a dumb joke but it's like interesting and then it's funny because it's just the single origin cardboard is a throwaway line then they talk about how the duck has to be the champion of the ice cream <laughs> and it kind of like by putting single origin cardboard in there It makes duck flavoured ice cream sound reasonable, Mm. um, which it's not. Like, it's a stupid concept and, like, I'm sure there is duck duck flavored ice cream out there but there's a reason why it's not popular
0: and I think yeah because we just finished watching Zumbo's Great Desserts which just like it was just such a weird thing coming into the story from that because it is you know they made desserts that floated they made desserts that were vapor they made desserts and like we recently went to Auckland where there was an ice cream place that we went to where I had a um wasabi ice cream which had soya beans on it Mm -hmm. and like it was just I just think it really um ties into this whole idea is food is entertainment and then sort of like the piece you read you know the flip side of that is that you know he's living in this massive house and she's living in a tube in the wall kind of thing
1: yeah my other favorite thing about the ice cream before i forget is the um, thousand dollar ice cream which is super expensive and it's made out of something stupid as well but then um for people who can't afford their $1,000 ice cream, there's a $500 <laughs> ice cream called The Aspirational. Yeah.
0: Is... <laughs> it's just so good. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good.
1: And just full of... Like, every other line is, like, a really funny joke. But um, it's, yeah, as I said, it's not just satire. It's not just comedy. And, yeah, the the hole in the wall is really interesting. I think that's, like, one of the best bits of satire in the um, in the story because like, well, we're going through a housing crisis in New Zealand at the moment. I know Sydney is definitely going through one as well. And, um, but what's funny about it is um, you get, if you earn under $40,000 a year, you get a house that costs $750 a week, which is a good deal, which... $750 $750 a week is $40,000 a year so it's like if you earn, if you earn this amount you get the um, benefit of spending all your money on rent which is you know kind of how the um, accommodation supplement works in New Zealand as well it's like well if you if you only earn $300 a week then we'll give you $60 a week which you'll spend on um, paying $60 extra rent because the landlords will just put the rent up
0: yeah it just seemed um that was the thing that i found so interesting about it is that i guess um i don't know how i'd I'd be interested to hear what you think about this but this idea that it isn't just satire and i was sort of dissecting what else it is you know and i think it yeah i was really interested in in that idea of what else it is as well as satire do you have any thoughts on that or is that a dumb question
1: uh i think what else it is it's a story mm. which can be anything but i think by calling it satire this is what i wanted to talk about about meaning in a story um and i think if you call something satire people will read it searching for what it means and then once they get what it means they'll go oh yeah and then they finish the story and don't think of it anymore and i think that like just closes stories off and i think maybe it's because of our our like how we read in high school and we study a story and then we we look for its meaning or its theme and then like it's trained people to read stories as if they're puzzles Mm. and then once you once you finish the puzzle then that's it and i think that's a bad way of reading and it's a boring way of reading and it's why people don't like reading because they think they have to find meaning in everything um when you know, this does have meaning, but it doesn't just have meaning. It's mm. got other things as well, which make it, which are what makes it entertaining.
0: It's such an interesting idea because I guess um, I think that's so true. The idea that we there's this new word that I'm noticing, people that are coming out when when I'm um, working places that seems to be coming out of. Um, high schools is this idea of relatability you know and like I, at first though, I was a bit like oh does that mean you don't enjoy a story that you don't relate to but I think there is something really interesting in that word that means um, kind of emotional there's some kind of resonance that happens as you're reading rather than the search for sort of capital T truth capital M meaning and I thought that it was what I found really interesting when I was reading this is that you know, we have ideas about what's at stake in a story, you know, and like, what's really interesting here is that it deals with death, you know, the story deals mm. with death, but death doesn't seem to be the highest thing, it's the highest emotionally resonating thing in the story or something, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's like, death is not at stake at all, well, because no. it's, um, well, should we tell what, oh, what yeah, going on? Uh, so, um, G, the, what's his name, G, um, Bartholomew G, he um has invented an ice cream which has a fifty percent rate of killing you. I mean that's a very expensive super bougie ice cream and they go around in an ice cream truck. Basically killing people. Yeah. <laughs> and they get the some um, like the best character in the in the story, which is Mrs. Tracy, who's a sort of friend of a person she went to oh no, the mother of stepmother of someone she went that's to right. primary school yeah. with, who her job is to dispose of all the dead bodies that this ice cream um, <laughs> truck creates. And the council have apparently turned a blind eye to it because of population control, um, which is such like a... It almost feels like something that could, you know, someone could write a letter to the editor about in the New Zealand Herald or something talking about population control in Auckland. Um, it's only really, like, one step away from what we talk about of, like... Deporting people, or sending people to the provinces, or not that sending people to the provinces, <laughs> anything like <laughs> murdering someone, but um, yeah, it's kind of about this like. But it's interesting because the population they're controlling are the like bougie rich people, mm, rather mm. than the 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 poorer classes who are barely seen in this in this story, apart from the narrator.
0: Mm. Yeah, it really. Um, I really it is amazing how the offer like I just feel like the story and a lot of the stories in here will offer something that seems you know like um I don't know what the word is but you know like I'm just buying it the whole way through and I think there's there's something incredible and I think it's about the commitment to the idea maybe in the stories you know like it's just like you know this is you know you know like the I'm just thinking of the first story but you know like it's just like this is it this is it and it just really commits to those ideas and yeah like you say it just seems not very far from where we're at which is really depressing I guess
1: yeah and I think that's what it what I was talking about about the like um, the future the near future dystopia when no one realizes they're living in a dystopia because most dystopias, that you hear it's everyone's unhappy and everyone knows and that there's a supreme ruler or something like that and then this is kind of just the end result of where we're going um and the people in the story seem quite happy being there except maybe they're not happy because they're like choosing to maybe kill themselves mm-hmm. which maybe could be another satire on like the mental health of of people in our society of like we're in some ways richer and more advanced and things like that but with going through a mental health crisis as well
0: yeah oh god yeah 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 and um that um one of the things that I really think is interesting in here and in your story um is this idea that um for a while I was reading novels probably by older novelists um where no amount of technology kind of existed you know like it was this really strange world where people weren't on you know, like social media and they weren't kind of doing stuff. Whereas this book, part of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Part of the actual integral, you know, and especially with your story, but part of the integral sort of mechanics of the story is this idea of sort of the Instagram, you know, that the, the sort of generation. And I don't know, like, uh, do you have anything to say about that? That sounds like a dumb question,
1: actually. Um, yeah, like it's... I kind of think that it's just, it might be a generational thing with technology because I I think I'm a similar age to Juliko, I think mm. she's a couple of years older than me, but mm. both of us would have just grown up with technology and I, I go to Facebook when I was 17 and had MySpace before that and it's actually just part of our lives and if we were writing without it, it would, if I was to write a story which had didn't have any technology in it at all, that would be more of a statement than me writing something with technology in it because mm-hmm. it is just part of my life and by by choosing not to write about it you're making something more than writing about it yeah and yeah and I think like with portable curiosities the the technology aren't, isn't an incredibly integral part of the story like if the Instagram didn't exist or if the the app which people get the ice creams from didn't exist something else would to Mm. make it the same way but that's just the avenues that have gone down yeah in the story
0: yeah I totally know what you mean um I was interested in the point of view of the story um just kind of like I don't know like again it's just such great use it's really crafty in the way that it uses um that first person narration like um, the personality of the of the narrator comes through quite strongly in the story, doesn't it?
1: yeah, and that's that's part of the charm of it, I think of the kind of desperate journalist angle where you know she's she's built up to be like the sort of intern who doesn't get good stories and this is the biggest thing she's ever done, and people are using her like the um the term which bartholomew g uses is an embedded yeah. journalist <laughs> which kind of um just makes me think of uh, like like sort of the media which is kind of like free pr for companies which happens quite a lot now because it's easy to make and easy to put in the on, on the internet and it gets clicks and just kind of being very positive about businesses for like PR reasons and sometimes they might pay to get someone in there and sometimes they won't and things like that so it's kind of sets up this this world that we're living in now of like intern journalists incredibly rich bougie um chef's table type mm. businesses it's in a city with a housing crisis like this could happen in Auckland. Could probably uh, it's not. It could almost happen in Wellington. Mm. Not not quite as much as well. But then, kind of just goes further with all of those ideas. Yeah,
0: I really like that, and I really like um one of the things I was looking at again tonight is like the rhythm of the humor as well. Like there's a moment um where the first person to eat the ice cream, um sits on the curb and um there's this moment of quiet around her taking the first eat of the ice cream Mm. and like it's just so incredible how there's a pace of the humor and the lightness that's carrying it on and then there's just this drop you know and it feels like just the sound drops out of it and um yeah and then there's really good explanation of some of the gory details and like yeah just those shifts are quite clever in here
1: yeah and then it just moves on yeah yeah is... exactly <laughs> yeah so it's like got a the she's doing the hippie shakes on the ground eyeballs rolling so saliva bubbling from the lips and then more about her death doesn't there's no pulse and then bartholomew g just pour starts pouring honey from one thing to another thing to help him help him think which is great
0: yeah, it just I just think it deals with it so well. Like it just um there's she's a real genius of tone. That was the thing I was thinking as I was reading this, is like I feel mood and tone. Like I just really love the way she sort of plays those almost like an orchestra. Like it's just yeah, like it's just so great. Ugh oh, she's so clever. As are you.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um,
0: do you wanna read from um Dog Farm Food Game? All right. I need to read the comma. Dog Dog farm, food game.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you'd... Dog farm, food game is probably fun. I considered making it a slash when I wrote it, but I think um, Emily, Emily Perkins is one of my supervisors as well as you for the Um, masters she told me she told me to not make it a slash i think i
0: do like the comma i feel like i could have an entire half hour discussion about the title Mm. because i just think it's such a great title it's brilliant but yeah i'll be quiet and if you could read some for us
1: that'd be great i'll read the first page of it i met abby when we were both sad on a sad part of the internet Some people don't realise there's a sad part of the internet, and others claim that all parts of the internet are sad, and that happy people just don't spend that much time on the internet. They're both wrong. The internet is not inherently sad, but there are some parts that are sadder than others. Sad people attract each other and form a whole internet galaxy held together by gravitational sadness. The sad part of the internet is where sad people feel normal. It's easy to fall in love on the sad part of the internet. It's easy to connect with others who feel the same internal dread. It's easy to be charming when all punctuation is flirtatious. First, you favourite each other's depression and jokes, humour that's hilarious to the sad, but scary to the happy. Then you message casually, then obsessively, and then you have cam sex. The first time we had cam sex, it was fast and silent. We didn't want to speak so that the others in our respective houses wouldn't hear what we were up to, which is how we kept talking for our entire relationship. We turned on our ke- webcams and soon her top was off and I typed wow onto my keyboard. I pulled my pants down around my knees and got my cock out of my underwear. I tried to find a position for my laptop where the cam would show both my cock and my face, but it was impossible in that moment. Do you want to see my cock or my face? I typed. Are you going to feel bad about whatever I don't say? She typed back. No. Cock, then. I tipped my laptop screen forward to focus on that, and then even further forward again so my double chin wouldn't be in shot. Can I see your... I said. No, not today, she said.
0: Awesome, thank you so much. My God, this story is so fucking amazing. Um, I don't quite know where to start. Um, where will I start? So, do you, first of all, it might be interesting to see if you see any similarities between Julie Coe's work and your own. Like, I mean, do you, well, I mean, what might be interesting is to see what you think about where your work sits in relation to it or.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would like there to be similarities between our work. <laughs> I think we write in slightly different places uh, because most of my work is kind of set in the reality we're in at the moment, I think, or um, in the past sort of five, ten years. And Julie's sits, you know, in the future a mm-hmm. bit, mm-hmm. even though we're both. I think we're both writing about the same thing we're both writing about a lot of it is about sort of um, social and economic impacts on people and young people Uh, but yeah I think our time frames are a bit different Uh, so yeah I would like there to be more and I would like to be able to write more in the future I just don't have that um, brain (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's a really I found that the two stories were a really nice companion to each other just in that exactly like what you're saying like it feels like you know the time is different but they do share some concerns I think which is really really nice um are you willing to talk a little bit about the development of the story I have a feeling I saw part of this earlier and I am so surprised. When I read that, I thought it felt pretty complete. Like, I thought, yep, yeah, this is what, this is doing what it's doing. But since then, I feel like you've pushed more and more into it and it hasn't broken. Like, it's just, I don't know, like, I'm really impressed with the way that you have. Like, sometimes people think short stories are kind of fragile things, but I feel like, you know, this just is robust as hell. And yeah, do you mind talking a bit about the development of it?
1: yeah uh so this story was uh took the longest out of anything i've written i started writing it in the second or the the beginning the first thing of it. i think was the first exercise we did at the iiml masters um which i sort of stole that bit and put it into the story and then i started writing what became the story itself in the second or third week and it was the last story i finished uh and when i When I handed it in, I kind of thought that it was incomplete, but then uh, Fergus Barrowman wanted to put it in sport, so I think it finished itself just by someone wanting to publish it, as (laughs) was. Otherwise, I probably would have kept working on it, and probably will keep working on it if I want to publish it again in a collection or something like that, because there are still some things which I would like to change in it. But, yeah, this one which a lot of my stories actually do thinking about it but it came from two to three separate stories which i ended up just pushing together because i realized they were the same one so i was writing a story about dating someone whose parents owned a puppy farm like and di- dating someone. i didn't do that that's the narrator but that's often confusing people but someone dating someone whose parents owned a puppy farm and then i wanted to write one about like a um an internet relationship between depressed people and then a bit at the end about um a coffee table in a house that came from an exercise that i did and i kind of just like smushed it in there because i needed them to be talking past each other at one stage and i thought that that worked quite well there
0: it really does it really does like I mean um we will put a link to this on the website so you can read the story in full but it is just incredible and like I feel like sometimes when I'm writing stories there's one part of it which unlocks I don't know like it sort of finally the story kind of reveals itself did you have a moment like that or not really that might just be a
1: dumb question i i usually do in writing but not with this story because it was it was a really hard one to write just the pieces the pieces weren't fitting together for a long time and i kind of forced them together It it didn't feel like it wasn't a smooth like jigsaw it was i had to like cut things and yeah when you said that i sort of loaded it up with stuff there's like more in it which i wanted to have which is i think it is in it if you're looking for it which I won't say what it is, but there's some like other bits in it that I wanted to have which I couldn't fit in it because it is told from a first-person perspective and the other bits were about the narrator not realising what's happening with the other character in it. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to load it up more, but mm. I think I found a place where it's kind of like... It holds all it can.
0: Yeah. It's such a good... I don't know... I always like these stories because I always think that there has to be like divine intervention where I sit at the typewriter and just, you know, like I forget about that graft of, you know, that, that actual sticking things together and seeing how they fly and, you know, taking things out and putting things in and that idea of sort of a scale balanced is quite, you know, interesting. I don't know. And um, so if you were describing this story to someone, like um, how, what would you see it as?
1: um it's a story about a relationship between two sad people probably (laughs) and I think it's also a story about not listening to each other those are the two things I would say it's mostly about
0: I really like that idea that's um one of the genius things about this is in my head and you can correct me if I'm wrong is that all of the conversation is typed out yeah yeah and I just so fucking love that because I just feel like you've really placed excellent reminders of that throughout the story and there is something so interesting about the silence you know this kind of silent to and fro and especially when it gets to I feel like that is something of a um, sort of like flash point in the story where they are talking against each other like they're telling two stories completely not listening to the other one which I think can happen when you are typing you know when you are in that kind of messaging kind of thing um that's genius um, did that um come naturally or did you did you suddenly think, Oh gosh, no.
1: That was that was like the original premise for the entire story. That that bit was um well, for one of the stories, the story about the internet sad relationship. Mm. Um, I wanted to write a story where it was two people telling stories to each other and not listening to each other and then that was gonna be the whole thing. Mm. So from beginning to end. Um and then that didn't make sense. Yeah, <laughs> I needed to have <laughs> needed to have something else yeah. in there first. So that's so
0: true. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't pre preamble this question, but I'm really keen to ask it. Um. I've seen you perform your stories spoken out loud in sort of a comedy setting. I've seen them performed as part of a play. I'm going to call it a play. I think it's a play. It's like a one-man show um, with props and, and lighting and stuff like that. And then I've read your work as well. And I'm just wondering, do you write differently in those modes? Like, do you think there is something that the page demands that is different from what the stage demands or do you think that like obviously i feel like all of them um all of them gain from your various things like they all are better because you do all those things but do you think do you think that they are is it a different headspace or anything like that
1: yeah yeah like none of them work in the other forms so i couldn't I couldn't just go up to a stand-up comedy night and read out something that I've written for the page. Um, And I've done that in the past, and it hasn't worked. Uh, And I've only ever done that because I've been, like, lazy and haven't prepared anything else. (laughs) Uh, And then the stories that are told in sort of a one-man show, like, long-form thing, they're more similar to what's for the page, but I think the development of them changes it. And... Both of my long-form story shows did start out as written stories, but they didn't work as written stories so well. So I needed to do something else with them. Uh, And then once I started developing them for being spoken, that makes... that just made more sense. So sometimes it's finding the form that fits your idea and sometimes it's forming the idea to fit the form, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they they're different and they're not easily transposable.
0: Yeah, and of course one of the big things in there, which um, just uh, I'm always obsessed with. Sorry, um, is the idea that with like because I was lucky enough to do um to be part of your podcast and I got to stand up in front of people and tell a story, and that instant reaction like knowing what's landing and what's not landing and like i mean that is quite it felt quite lonely going back um the next week to write and i just wonder yeah like that must be is that is it just because i'm not very experienced or is that does that like this idea of development like i know that your show you had a director and you know there's suddenly a there's people in the room kind of i don't know Do you have
1: anything to say about that? Yeah, well, that's why writing for the page is hard. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's like the thing which I've um, not, I haven't put as much out into the world of it as I have with my other few things because it is hard and it's hard to, I find it hard to develop things without another eye. And even if you have a writing group or a person that reads over it, it isn't that you don't get that like line by line instant reaction. As you do with stand-up uh, or with a, like long form show although the long form show is kind of in the same sense because even though I was working with the director and mm. I had some other designers who were kind of came in and out in re- rehearsal and gave feedback you didn't get that uh, you still had to develop an hour's worth of content which is like quite a long time mm. without getting the instant reaction which is um yeah it's it's harder and I'm currently making a stand up comedy show and that's so much easier to put together because everything in it I've tested out mm. at stand up comedy nights and I know what works and I've like been able to tweak things depending on what lands with the audience or not and it's it's a lot easier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was just thinking that the other day, like it's always um, that's one of the things I find most terrifying about writing. I'm not really I no idea why i get things published i just really love writing and then to put it it's this horrible feeling where i make something and i'm kind of like oh this i thought was funny and then people are like no no that's not funny and i think yeah there is there is a weird i don't know there is something really weird i think that's what i that was one of the things i was really impressed with, with um dog farm food game is that um there are funny moments in it, but they just are so um, bittersweet. Some of them, you know, like do, do, I mean, obviously, it's hard to deconstruct your own process. But do you think there's humor operating in here, or oh,
1: definitely. Like I, I think there's more humor operating in there than most people are giving me credit for. <laughs> I think um, everyone always just talks about how sad it is, and um, like it's only, it's only other depressed people I'm not like that depressed anymore but people who have experienced like severe depression who find find the funny bits in the in the funny bits uh my friend Freya said this great or tweeted this great thing once which is like 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 uh, something about like I hate all the people who um try and make depression serious all the time like Oh, like non-depressed people because like if you take away the funny funniness from depression all we're left with is depression <laughs> that's and, so true <laughs> and there are some like lines in here which like i i think i just just jokes and no one seems to be reacting to them at the same time like when he sees the flatmate in um in the kitchen oh my god my and dear. then the flatmate's like oh what have you been up to and he's like oh just depression stuff and the flatmate <laughs> looks concerned and he has to be like oh no don't worry that was just a joke and thought that's funny because like depression stuff isn't a thing but it's something that a depressed person would say to a not depressed person and then that would just like cause concern uh, when it's actually just like it's a joke um and then like my most proud bit of this of the story which is like i think is very funny um, is when they're trying to have cam sex and the dog keeps on trying to get on the bed yes um, <laughs> and um, yeah no one else seems to think that's as funny as I do
0: it's really I was just thinking about how sometimes that can um, be um, yeah I think sometimes that can be isolating as well <laughs> like you know like I definitely have had moments where yeah people have sort of said oh no why would you want to write about that like oh because I thought it was funny it's not funny though um oh that was something I didn't ask about either I should have prepped you for this this talks about I don't know oh gosh in this present moment in time where um sex is incredibly problematic there is something so incredibly well crafted and well written about the sex in this piece you know like it really does there is nothing bit, which is really odd because the absolute setup is that we're in a male consciousness looking at something but there's just something really i don't know like you probably just did that naturally because you're a decent person but i don't know i
1: know it was really hard to write and i think like i i've haven't really written about sex that much and i find sex is really hard to write about so it did take a long that was one of the reasons why it took such a long time to write this story because i realised when I started writing it that I had to have sex scenes in it. And that was hard, but... Um, I think the reason it might be like that is because um, both the characters feel like they're on the back foot. I think both characters think, because they're both really sad, that they're, like, one step away from losing the other one. So, like, trying to not... Do anything that would affect that but then that could also be that like i know that that can also be problematic sometimes if you like if you think you have to do something to lose it then that can have mm. issues with consent and things as well but i don't know i didn't want it to be a story where like where because because it is like a, it's a love story and i didn't want that to be pro- that that part of it to be problematic there's a lot of other things which they're doing to each other which are but that bit I didn't want to be.
0: And it's so interesting because I think um there's so few models. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was just thinking, you know, like, I just, yeah, I, w- I was thinking back to that, you know, like, there are so few models for writing, yeah, for, for writing um, consensual, you know, like, yeah, like normal sex. Um, and, like, this idea of talking against each other seems really important in here and the distance seems important but you managed to get intimacy as well you know what i mean like the 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 wonderful um detail about the time zone is so good like the way that they make their own time zone because she's in america and he's here and yeah it it, it was really i don't know i just Mm. thought it was really great
1: yeah but that's also like the time zone because that's interesting because when i gave this to my class in the master's program it was like a pretty even split of people saying thinking that was sweet people thinking that's like scary like they're isolating themselves against their worlds like neither of them are in because they neither of them goes to the other person's time zone so they can't ever communicate with anyone outside them because one of them's like wakes up in the late afternoon and stays up Mm. until the early morning and the other one gets up in the middle of the night and stays up to the like slightly late morning and that's yeah, so it's, like, it's isolating and it's sweet, and I think that's, that's actually probably how a lot of relationships are, even when it's not over the internet. It's, they're kind of scary and sweet at the same time.
0: So true. Um, so one thing I have always thought about you is that you are quite an amazing reader. Like, you've put me onto some fantastic writing. And I'm just wondering, do you think how maybe you... How does reading sit with writing? Like, how do though where do they sit i hate that word writing process but like how how do you think they relate to each other in your you know writing life
1: um well i wouldn't i wouldn't write the way i do without like a pretty i got very into um the like um raymond Carver realism mm-hmm. when i was in my early 20s and then i read Raymond Carver and betty Frederick Bartholme, Grace Paley, Amy Hempel, all of those like short writers who write very like small, clear sentences, and like that's I basically just took that and like that's how I write now, mm. um, and that's what I'm interested in reading. And I've read all of that, and then more recently I've like well, more recently in the last few years I've gotten into like George Saunders and. Um, people like Julie Coe and um, Diane Cook and Donald Barthelme, um <laughs> the Frederick Bartholomew's brother, and like those ones who, um, some of them write in that style, but I think they're much less concerned with realism uh, than, than the, the people I read earlier. And I think both of them have influenced me in Google, everything I write is reasonably realist, but I'm getting more interested in, like, absurdity, even if it is, like, realist absurdity, which, like, some of it's in this story, I and mean, then in other stories, it's good to build that up, because I think there's, there's a lot of interesting things you can say with absurdity, uh, which you can't with realism so much
0: because i think that was what that's what i've always loved about your work as well and i was just thinking about uh i will jones that's right eh? yeah oh, if, if anyone puts a name in a title it's always hard to remember but yeah your show i will jones like um there is um there's there's elements there's an ambiguity in the absurd things that happen which i really enjoyed and i feel like it, it reminds me of a story that you did bring to a workshop and um everyone believed an event that was happening in there um concerning bees and everyone yeah. believed that and you know well i think there was a, there were a few people that were really like really and i just think it's interesting how sometimes you um sort of bring in this trojan horse of absurdity inside realism
1: yeah well like that's where it's most interesting to me um and even in like things like portable like the cream reaper like that's the the ice cream thing is an absurd thing that happens within the reality of like of the sydney economic reality (laughs) uh, which um that's where i think it's the most interesting is to put um like something weird inside something real and if you can make people believe it then that's that's great like uh, and even if they don't believe that it happened haven't but they believe it within the story then that's perfect
0: I totally agree like that was another thing I was just thinking you mentioning Sydney like I think Julie Coe's work and your work takes place in a specific place you're not like I mean I, I, I'm trying to think back of what I've read of you and I don't think any of them sort of take place in um, you know a generic city or a generic town um, the the city isn't named, I guess, in Dog Farm Food Game, but you do get a sense of it. And I'm just wondering, um, what am I trying to say? I guess I'm thinking about, you know, beaming out to America and that sort of thing. What do you think it means to be writing from here? You know, like, to be writing in New Zealand and to be performing your comedy in New Zealand and writing theatre in New Zealand and... It's a silly question, but,
1: yeah all that's it's pretty much just what i know uh Mm. and i wouldn't want to write a story set anywhere else or, or do something too much set somewhere else because i just don't know it so well and it's when you really know the place that you can um introduce different ideas or things like that because if i if i wrote a story about new orleans or um somewhere like that like i feel like that's all i would be able to write about you i couldn't write a story within that city or within that place because i'd be too caught up with trying to get everything right Uh, and if you know it really well then then you just inherently are probably going to get it right and if you don't get it right then that can you can chalk that up to like creative freedom Mm -hmm
0: totally um do you kim i really think i've only got one more question although who knows with me um i'm really interested um in the young writers festival in new south wales that's where it is eh? yeah yeah um because i just remember a couple of months ago jackson and caro and you and one other person we were sort of standing around talking about that festival and like just um Jackson and Carrie were I talking and I were talking the other day just about this, this transport that seems to be happening between Australia and New Zealand, which is just so exciting. And I just wondered, do you want to? Can you talk a little bit about that festival and you yeah. know
1: Yeah. Like, um. Yeah. Well, it was really incredible. I I applied to like get into the festival and didn't get in last year, uh, and then Freya, my good friend Freya Daly-Sadgrove sort of just uh convinced me to go anyway because she went the year before and the year before it was chris Tease, harry Lindsay bird and freya went oh, and they funny. were the only new zealanders that went and then freya came back and i think there were about 10 of us this year so she convinced a whole lot of people to come to it um which was really cool when we all stayed in our backpackers together uh and it was really cool to meet and feel like because in new zealand it feels like you know even there almost isn't even a new zealand literary scene there's like a wellington literary scene and an auckland literary scene and they do have some crossover and it's cool to see people like chris pu being published by auckland university press uh whereas like it feels like every other poet in wellington's published by Victoria university press which is like cool because they're getting published and there's a great community around it but it does feel a little bit um gated or something um geographically which i don't know if there's it's anyone's fault really i don't think it's um i don't think i don't think that the like the gatekeepers of of (laughs) literature are doing that on purpose uh i think it's more just we don't go to each other very much and there aren't many festivals or Opportunities to go and really spend time in each other's cities, like, um, like, and I think the closest thing we have is Lickroll, which comes, which everyone, because the Writers Festival is more concerned with like an international crowd, and because Auckland have their own Writers Festival, it's kind of we just stick to our own, uh, and Lickroll's probably the closest thing we have. But it was weird because Lickroll happened on the same weekend as like a poetry conference in mm. Auckland. And I don't know, like, there aren't enough literary <laughs> events for us to <laughs> be having big clashes like that. But um, the National Young Writers Festival was awesome because there were people from all over Australia, like Perth. I th- yeah, Perth. I met people from Perth, Adelaide, Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra, Melbourne, and, and one person from Newcastle, where it was, <laughs> um, there. And, yeah, just meeting people from all over and it also being very broad in terms of its um very very broad in terms of its um like scope of writing uh because there were journalists activists fiction writers poets like article writers like comedy writers all of those types of things and it all was under writing and i think yeah often in New Zealand it feels like it's just mm. prose and poetry mm. and mm. like I'm involved in the comedy scene here and there's not really any comedians that are ever considered part of the literary community um sometimes someone like James Nicky say William something uh, sometimes like Johnny Potts was mm. invited to be part of a thing that Hera put forward but like comedians aren't considered writers in New Zealand um and yeah it's just every scene is kind of sticks to itself which is a bit of a shame i think um and maybe the reason why everyone can get together in newcastle is because it does have a different thing of being young writers um which means a lot of the people there like a lot of the great writers that i saw there speak don't have books published or don't Mm -hmm. have um um haven't been published widely so you you see them there and it's amazing and then you can't keep following them apart from someone like Julie Coe who has books and um Jack Venning who publishes widely here or widely in Australia as Mm. well
0: yeah because it does it's really interesting because it does I remember it does seem like a real missed opportunity and I do think like I'm very old but I just remember um You know, it feels like it's been this way for a long time. Like, I can remember in the 80s and 90s, like, you would often have two bands playing on the same night, and it was fine because Mm. everyone went to the band. You know what I mean? Like, they were two New Zealand bands. You know, it, 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 it might be you know, I'm trying to think of who it might be, but it might be someone like Headless Chickens and, say, Spud, you know, and mm. it'd be like the Spud people would never go and see Headless Chickens, maybe. And, the, you know, like, yeah. they just seemed to be, it does seem, I just wonder if it's the virtue, uh, oh, it's one of the problems of being a small country is that everyone's trying to define themselves. And, yeah, I just, I just remember that one night thinking, this is crazy, you know, there's eight of us here, and there's eight of us over there, and why are we not 16, you know, like, surely we're not that different, you know, and yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting thing.
1: Yeah, and I don't know what the solution is, because I think the reason why we're split up is because a lot of people are not interested in the other thing, so if, like, yeah, if suddenly, like, there's a poet in the middle of a stand-up comedy night, like, it probably wouldn't fit because most people are there to see stand-up comedy um although like it can fit i'm sure if someone like oh i've seen a comedy night with freya reading poetry Hmm, and that works really well because her poem's really funny yeah um and i think yeah Hmm. it would it just seems like and our institutions are built to support the main thing so You know, BATS might have a literary event once every six months, but, Mm. you know, it's built for theatre, and that's Mm. its primary purpose, and Fringe Bar is mostly built for comedy, although they do have Poetry Nights and things there as well, and Mm. somewhere like Unity Books doesn't have things that aren't book launches or readings there. Apart from once, they did have a dress rehearsal of...
0: Oh, Emily's play. yeah, Yeah, Emily's play,
1: which I didn't get to see. But uh, I heard that was really cool. And that's a cool thing that can happen. But that was only there because it's Emily Perkins.
0: Yeah. Because that was the thing... Like, I keep thinking about that Jack Venning evening that Hera organised. Um, and I think what was so interesting about that is that it was surrounding a mood rather than surrounding a, a, a genre. You know, like, the idea was it was funny. You know, that yeah. was the idea. It was funny. And then Hera thought of people that she thought were funny... And, that, and I think that is what made such a great night. And I wonder if maybe that could be a way, you know, to sort of have a sad evening or a happy evening or a, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just think that proved to me yet again that, um, yeah, there's so much more scope than just having these little um, siloed evenings. Yeah.
1: And that was that No Cards Allowed event that Hera organised was so great because it celebrated humour, which... It doesn't seem to be a very, like, literary, the thing that's appreciated in like the literature community. Even though everyone loves, com like funny things. Like, I don't think anyone does. But it's not something that's celebrated as being important, mm. which I think is like crazy, uh, because it's so loved. And I think it maybe is taken for granted a little bit. And um, there's a really great piece on the spin-off last week by Catherine Robertson oh, yeah. about how she's always put in the chick lit category. Even though what she does, she considers just to be funny writing, but there's not a genre for funny fiction, which I thought about it and it's true, and, like, it has to be satire, so that's why, like, Julie Coe gets put in a satire category, or, like, something like Milk Island gets put in a satire category, um, or it's, like, a funny memoir like David Sedaris or something like that, but, um... And, like, there's and, no section in a bookshop for funny books.
0: Because then, um, just going right back to the start of that first thing you said, I feel like then the weight is on the humour to be doing something. Like, if it's satirical, it's got to be put to a political use, or if it's, you know, and I think it's a... I was thinking that the other day about, you know, often other extremes, you know, like if you've got an extremely violent book or an extremely, you know, sexually explicit book, it's got to be doing something else, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's got to be it's got to be making some statement... You know as well and i just I, I just this idea of satire i'd never thought of it before you know like because, I mean, Rydian's book is a very, very funny book, yeah. you know, and it is doing some interesting things, but, you know, overall, it's an absurd, hilarious book, you know, and, and I think that, again, with Julie Coe, I just, I, I mean, I don't know. I always think Australia is the land of milk and honey, but, I mean, it does feel like Australia seems more comfortable, maybe, with just the idea of a funny book, but that might be completely wrong.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I haven't extensively read much, australian literature but i think they're the same as new zealand where a lot of the like big literature from the from like its past was like you know aussie bloke humour, which is like i like barry crump or Mm -hmm. something like that which might have influenced it um although i remember i think it was um hera saying that like australians do um really funny prose and very serious poetry, and New Zealand almost does the opposite, yeah. where it's like, oh my god, um, <laughs> funny, funny poetry and serious <laughs> prose. It's
0: so true. <laughs> oh my god, I'd never thought of that. I just, yeah, sorry, I'm just thinking about. Please like me now.
1: Yeah, yeah. or oh, like, god. and well, and that's another thing that Australia has going for it, which I guess New Zealand does as well with some things, but it has the ABC, yeah, um, and SBS, although I think they shut down their comedy and a bunch of other things, which does. Um, give a lot of writers jobs mm, uh yeah writing funny things and uh, like new zealand does as well with something things like seven days and funny girls and john and ben There are a bunch of really great writers writing for them who do funny things who, who do great stuff as well like snort and yeah um like nick Sampson is like one of the best comedians in the country and is making amazing shows and joseph moore and laura daniel are doing um their oh, two hearts like thing um Which is like, yeah, so it's really cool that we have that opportunity for some people but because it is not publicly funded like ABC is or, is Please Like Me on ABC?
0: I think so. I want to say ABC or SBS. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think it's ABC. Yeah, Yeah. and if it's if it's publicly funded, then there's probably some more opportunities for things to happen and mm-hmm. things like that. Because
0: it feels, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, this idea of writing funny, um, is that a hard thing? Like when you sit down and think, do, do, is that how you sit, like with the stand-up show that you're writing at the moment, do you sit down and think to yourself, you must get asked this all the time by people who don't write funny, but do you sit down and think, right,
1: got to get some laughs? How does it work? well with stand-up yeah because that's that's the point of it pretty bad um yeah if you didn't have it but that is how i approach all writing because i'm afraid of doing anything else um and i don't know how to do anything else like so even i'm just trying to think if i have any like stories in my i don't think i've ever written a story which doesn't have a joke in it at least one joke and i um and like and it also that's that's like it's also the only way i know how to communicate other emotions as well Mm. like i can't i wouldn't be able to write something that's just sad um and only communicated sad things um without some sort of humor in it as well because i don't know how to do sad without funny Mm. Uh, because i think all sad things are funny
0: yeah (laughs) um
1: and i came i've like done this argument so many times where i think the bell jar is an incredibly funny book um, and everyone's like what because <laughs> we've got a stupid idea that if something's tragic and sad and like depressing it like it can't be funny because that's somehow um like rude or uh, like mean or something like laughing at sadness but i'm sure sylvia plath thought it was funny yeah um, especially the beginning when they're in new york
0: it's just i totally agree i totally agree can you feel when something's funny when you're writing it like do you- is it because it makes you laugh or do you know the rhythms the rhythms of a joke? Are there rhythms to a joke?
1: Yeah, there are. I probably usually write around to the funny. So the funny is what comes out first and then I connect nice. it together with other bits. So, But sometimes some things will just appear, like an idea for a joke will appear. And sometimes I think there are a lot of writers like this where... Um, we probably need to tone it down sometimes, or like I need to, while editing, um, sacrifice jokes, uh, for the purpose of the story. Because it's not, if it's on the page, it's not a stand-up night. Um, not every joke is worth doing, mm. um, and not every joke pushes the tone or the narrative forward. And some of them will do the complete opposite. And if that's the case, mm. they probably need to be cut. Do
0: you do you have a favorite um, comedy, like? is there someone who you have watched and thought oh they're good
1: um i really like harry kondovalu uh who i like got very into a couple of years ago um he does a lot of political stuff mm. um and that he's great uh
0: there's that australian guy that does those amazing shows i can't remember his name whoops
1: sorry ignore that australian guy <laughs>
0: Yeah, he did one. Um, my father... Oh, God. oh,
1: John Bennett. Yeah, yeah John, John Bennett. Bennett. John Bennett's a huge influence on my like long-form storytelling shows. I saw him first in 2014 um, after I'd done a show called Respite in the Fringe Festival. And then yeah. I saw him a couple of months later in the Comedy Festival. And the first time I did Respite in the Fringe Festival, I um, basically just printed out my story and sat down and read it and then i saw him do a show called fire in the meth lab which is like incredible and uh it kind of was like ah, like what i thought what i was doing and i thought was like a original piece of something was actually just like um it can be something good (laughs) like it can be something like more than what it was and then like so i remade the show the next year um for the comedy festival and then yeah and then i've seen three, three or four of his shows now, and, yeah, I've seen four of his shows now, and they're all, like, great, and, um, yeah, I would, like, I would love to be as good as him, although, like, I've kind of realised after seeing him a few times that, like, what I'm doing is not what he's doing, because he does what he's doing, and I do what I'm doing, and they're different things, and we're good at different things, um, and, yeah, but so I don't wanna be him, but I wanna be as good as him at that. Uh, but it's also hard because he does he mostly just does storytelling shows. He does some stand up as well and he's he's pretty good at that, but he doesn't do writing for the page and he doesn't really do um like long form stand up comedy. Mm. And I do I do just do too much <laughs> for that all that stuff and I I don't wanna sacrifice any of it. Um, I used to sometimes think that I would just, like, give up stand-up comedy and just do writing and storytelling shows, but, like, I, when I always think that, I'm always forgetting how much I like stand-up comedy when it's good.
0: Oh my god, yeah. I just think I just think it's great. I think the more i on Mara and the more different ways we get, the better it's just fantastic thank you so much thanks for having very me very generous with your time and your conversation and um the book is portable curiosities by Julie Coe. and we've also been talking about dog farm food game by Amon Mara and that appeared in sport 45 we're up to 45 thank you very much